Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we are going over UFC 279, headlined by Hamza Shemaev and Nate Diaz. Apparently, we had some fireworks uh, before the pre fight press conference was supposed to go down earlier today. So, you know what that means? Embedded about to be some fire and i gotta say i am a diehard mma fan but i've gotten over the whole embedded thing because it seems to be pretty redundant every single pay-per-view fight week but you know i'm going to be tuning into the next episode to see if they got some hot footage from this uh scuffle that happened that apparently stopped this event uh, or this pre-fight press conference from even happening um yeah, I, I'm sure some of you guys have been following my Twitter and seeing that I've been absolutely busy this week or this, well, this week, but specifically today, I had four full streams that I needed to do, this of which being the fourth. And uh, did I sneak in a nap between propping you up and right now? Yes, I did. I was hoping that would help my voice out, help out my uh, ability to get through this stream as well. But, you know, I got to be honest, I'm still feeling a little bit and I can feel it in my throat too. So I'm hoping that I can get through this podcast without completely losing my voice. Very excited about it. Um, again, I wanted to make it a pre-edited version, but with uh, the lack of time remaining, you know, I, I want to get it out for you guys as soon as possible so you guys could ingest it, especially for the audio viewers as well who have been waiting for it. I've had a lot of people hit me up. You know, I don't know if it's because it's come. I'm coming off an 11-1 prediction week uh, from UFC Paris. But it is what it is. The people want some of your boy. So we're going to do it. Tristan Strauss in the chat. Jeff K in the chat as well. Joshua Frickson during the Bills game got a double screen. Well, you can always mute the uh, Bills guys and, and just listen to your boy. Jeremiah Nicola in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Can't wait to break down this card for you guys. Problem kid in the chat. Robot Chicken Wings. One of my day oneers right there. Appreciate you stopping by as well. Jeff K saying you mean firearms. I guess it was firearms. I don't know. All right, let's uh, let's rifle through this podcast, guys. First and foremost, I always like to go over my results from the past event. And since my past event, we've actually had two events, which obviously includes the contender series, which went down on Tuesday. But let's start off with UFC Paris. Clean sweep that night. Five unit lock of the night play on Abusapian Magomedov comes through at minus 255. Uh, that cash is for plus 1.96 units. Nothing to say there other than smish, right? He just wrecked him immediately, and I was glad that I didn't have to sweat too long to see that one go through or not. Next up, <coughs> excuse me, ooh, my voice, ooh, I will get through this, guys. I will get through this. Uh, next up, uh, Christian Canones. Uh, one unit plus 118. Wish I went a little bit deeper there, but glad that he was able to get the job done. Uh, very solid prospect we have here in Christian Quinones, and I thought that was a great performance from him to defeat Kali Taha the way that he did. So plus 1.18 units there. And then lastly, Dog of the Night plays comes through as well with great efficiency. One and a half units at plus 120 on Nathaniel Wood over my fellow Canadian Charles Jordan. That cashes for a plus 1.8 units. Um, great performance from him all around. Good God, was it easy to get Charles to the ground. Um, you know, a lot of people putting in stock to Nathaniel still going up in weight and Charles possibly being too much bigger than him. And then obviously the performance that Charles had against Shane Burgos, you know, led a lot of people to believe that Charles was going to be able to get it done. You know, I had money on Charles against Shane Burgos, but there was no way I was going to play him here against Nathaniel Wood. Wood, much more talented all around, um, and he showcased it. So I was happy to cash that. All in all, plus 4.94 units on UFC Paris for a 66% ROI. Very happy with uh, the performance there. Uh, and then the Contender Series. Uh, some money come through there as well. First of which, you know, I had a half unit shot on Nayara Maya at plus 430. Uh, obviously, Maya not really wanting to be in there as much as I expected it to be. And she was just too happy playing off of her back. Uh, so minus 0.5 units there. But luckily, Carl Williams comes through one unit at plus 200. What can I say? You know, I mean, do the tape, and there's no way you would have been able to come out on the Jimmy Lawson side, in my opinion. So that cash is for two units, plus 1.5 units all in all, and that's 100% ROI, considering that was a plus 200 hit. Um, so good 
couple couple you know a, a good stretch that I'm on right now in terms of winning events. It's four straight winning events. Um, but I, I've been really killing it since April or so, uh, especially with the straight bets here. You know, um, since Ortega Rodriguez, I've been on roughly a 40 unit run, which is crazy. So I'm hoping to keep this fire going, hoping to keep it uh, consistent for you guys and keep chopping away and making some profit for you guys. <clears throat> Ooh. My voice. I apologize, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to rifle through this. And again, I apologize for the lack of activity I'll be doing with the comment section here. I really just need to get through most of these breakdowns. All right. Uh shout out to everybody that's in the chat. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. Shout out to everybody that's been watching the podcast on the regular. Drop a comment below as well. Appreciate that. Love. If you guys want to support your boy a little more, the best way to do so would be through the Patreon. We've obviously been been seeing a spike on it due to the run that I've been on right now. Hope to keep that consistent and that we can continue to rake in some of this cheddar. So again, if you want to support your boy Patreon, link is in the description below. And you're going to want to get on it this week because that is the only place you'll be able to find every single one of my picks for this upcoming card. If you guys aren't aware, I need to be on a three-event winning streak or longer for my picks to be solely behind the Patreon wall. And that's what's exactly happening here. If you don't want to shell out the five bucks a month, you'll be able to get access to the dog of the night play, which I'll be dropping for free tomorrow. Uh, so make sure you guys check that out as well. Um, but yeah, I'll always drop the dog of the night play for free, but that will be the day before the fights. All right, let me stop being a sleazy salesman over here and get right into this card for you guys. Let's talk about the first fight, which is between Darian Weeks and Johan Ness, fellow Canadian there as well. In terms of odds, we're getting the slight favorite, Johan Ness. Sorry, let me just pull it up here. Yeah, Johan Ness. Sorry, Darian Weeks has a slight favorite. Coming in at minus 125, Ness coming in at plus 105. Interesting fight to break down, obviously. <clears throat> on the Johan side, we usually know what to expect with him. Big power in his hands. He can usually connect on you and put your lights out. But if he doesn't, he starts to slow down. That's where opponents are able to take over and usually start to drown him with their pace. That's what I'm expecting from Darian Weeks this weekend. I think he'll be able to avoid the big power of Johan. I think he'll be able to drag him to the ground so he can nullify the big power, start to grind on him, and then probably in that second or third round, be able to get him out of there. So I'll be leaning Darian Weeks here. And if the line does end up flipping, which it seems to be doing, or it might end up doing by fight day, I might have to take a small poke on Darian Weeks as the underdog. But I do think he's the better overall fighter. And as long as he can stay away from getting clipped, which I think he'll be able to, he should be able to win this fight. So give me Darian Weeks via decision or late finish as well. Next up, we're going to go over Elise Reed versus Melissa Martinez. In terms of odds, we got minus 165 on the UFC newcomer Melissa Martinez and plus 140 the return on Elise Reed. Fun fight here between two strikers, but both having different styles. Elise Reed coming in with a Taekwondo background, and it's very evident when you watch her fight given the stance and the way that she throws her strikes. And then on the Melissa Martinez side, a little bit more of a kickboxer, but she is very agile. Um, she uses her footwork very well. She does a good job in terms of, you know, picking her angles, moving about the cage, and then using the right, uh, you know, cutting the right angles in terms of trying to close that distance, landing her shots, and then get back out before she's able to eat too much damage. The knock on both of these women, <clears throat> excuse me, the knock on both of these women is the fact that usually when they go up against grapplers, they're easy to to slow down and 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 take over. Um, you know, Melissa Martinez, in my opinion, got a gift of a decision in her last fight against Desiree Yanez, where she got taken down multiple times and held down and controlled for large periods of time. But the Combate Global judges ended up giving it to her. You know, there is an argument that she probably landed more damage in that fight, but still it seemed like a very egregious decision. Uh, luckily for both women here, <clears throat> they're not going to have to worry much about uh, takedowns. At least I don't think they will. You know, it would, it would be mighty sneaky of either one of these women to have been training grappling this entire training camp, uh, this training camp so that they can take their opponent 
to the ground and exploit that weakness in their game. But nothing in either women's game or tape study that I've been doing has shown me that they want to take that type of approach. I think both women will be looking to implement their striking style, but I think it's going to be Melissa Martinez who ends up coming out on the winning end here. Reed is dangerous though, right? Let's not overlook her. I do think that she has some solid skills and she will be able to beat some women inside this, uh, inside the UFC as she already has against Corey McKenna. But I think Melissa Martinez will be a little bit too fast for her, a little bit more too dynamic. And I think she'll carry more power than Elise Reed will be able to. Um, I see this fight going the full 15 minutes. Uh, and I think Martinez likely wins a decision. But I wouldn't be surprised to see either woman land a big shot to knock the other one down. Whether they follow up and actually get the finish is one thing, but I think that it won't come down to that. I think it's just going to be Martinez landing the more effective strikes and landing more often. Excuse me, but I do think it will be her ending up getting her hand raised in this spot. Uh, So... Yeah, I'll go Martinez. But in terms of actually playing her here, you know, playing her at minus 165, I think the line is somewhat accurate. But I do want to just see, like, can she beat a girl of Elise Reed's stature? She should. But uh, I still want to see what she looks like on the big stage, you know, in front of a big crowd for the first time. Uh, she she has been keeping busy, like I said, uh, over the last three years since she's been out of the cage. She's been doing kickboxing on an international stage. Um, uh, most specifically in 2021, she won gold over there in Italy, um, you know, representing Mexico on the kickboxing scene. So not like she's just been collecting dust on the sidelines. She's been staying busy. But uh, the pick is Melissa uh, Martinez. No bet for me, but uh, I think the line is accurate here at minus 165. Next up, we got Chad and Helliger going up against Haile Alatang. In terms of odds, we got minus 170 on the Chinese fighter and plus 145 the return on the Canadian. Unfortunately, I got to pick against the Canadian once again here as I think that Hali Alatang has way too many tools in his toolbox for uh, Chad and Helliger. Now, Chad, you know, uh, he burst onto the scene by spoiling a lot of people's tickets uh, on the Contender Series when he pulled off a big underdog upset against Muen Gafarov. And then he followed that up by beating Jesse Strader and knocking him out in the third round. Now, there were some question marks in that fight, right? He did lose that first round to Jesse Strader, and he was kind of losing that second round until Jesse started to slow down, just as he notoriously does. And then, luckily, Chad was able to get that knockout late in that third round. Um, You know, he did start his career 2-5. and He was hovering between 125 and 130. Um, But, you know, I I know the the regional scene up here in Canada pretty well, and the lower weight classes, it's not really one of our best divisions, right? Even the higher level of the lower weight classes, they need a lot of work, especially the guys that Chad and Helliger was going through during that 10-fight winning streak that he was on. Best win, <coughs> excuse me, best win was probably against uh, Brady Highstand, uh, but even then, Highstand was a very young prospect at the time. Ali Alatang, you know, solid prospect in his own right. Uh, when he was 15 years old, he was on the Chinese res- wrestling team uh, and, and was doing quite well. Uh, in his first two UFC fights, he landed a combined seven takedowns and was able to win those fights. But then in his next three fights, he only shot for one takedown because apparently he's just fallen too much in love with his striking. But he's going to have to reach into that wrestling uh, toolkit here to try to get the win, in my opinion. You know, I don't think he needs to Khabib Chad here by any means. And what I mean by that is like smashing him on the ground and just laying and praying on him. But I think mixing it in, giving Chad something to think about, and then letting his punches go after that, I think is going to be the best way that he can go about this fight. You know, Chad obviously has some big power. Usually when he is in the zone, he's able to march forward, stalk his opponents, land those big shots and kind of make them wilt. But I think that Haile Alatang will be very hard to break. I think he'll be able to get those takedowns at opportune moments and then allow his punches to come after that and win this fight via decision. Chad, very durable. So it's going to be tough for Haile to put him away. And I wouldn't advise Haile to exchange in the pocket with him because that's where he could run into some trouble. But I think Haile is the better overall fighter. And I don't mind that minus 170 line personally, as I do think that's a pretty accurate assessment of how this fight should go. Chad struck gold with the run that he's on right now. But I think that this is the first complete fighter that he's going to be facing. And that's going to be the ultimate downfall 
to his 10 fight winning streak, 11 fight winning streak, whatever it is. But I got, I like Hali Alatang here and I like him by decision. Uh, okay, saying if Locke goes against anyone on my probably, I'm probably cash on now. I always lose because I didn't listen to him. Apologies. Evan Cross saying the boys are circling the fucking wagons right now. I wish I knew what that saying meant. I don't really understand what that saying means right off the right off the jump. Is there something going on in the uh the Discord that I'm not worried about? Or that I should be worried about? Uh <clears throat> uh oh brian the third is back in the chat shout out to brian the third ah evan call talking about buffalo bills yeah screw football evan come on you know that i didn't i thought you didn't know anything about foosball <laughs> all right so pick is holly alatang i think he just puts on a better uh all-around game and should be able to win that fight. Next up, Norma Dumont going up against Danielle Wolf. We got minus 410 on Dumont. Plus 330, the return on Danielle Wolf. Now, I'm, you know, flabbergasted that Norma Dumont is minus 410 in this spot. I get it. You know, she has a decided grappling advantage in this spot if she looks to take it. And the reason I say if is because we never know what kind of Norma Dumont we're going to get. You know, the 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 proof is in the pudding in terms of the, the last fight that she had against Macy Castle. She did nothing in that fight, at least for the first 10 minutes or so. I just don't get it. I really don't get it. She she did nothing. She allowed Macy Castle to control positions. She allowed her to do whatever she wanted. And then in that third round, she finally woke up and started putting the paddle on the gas. Or sorry, putting her foot on the gas. But unfortunately, it was too little, too late for her that night. Now, here against Danielle Wolf, she's going to be going up against a much bigger woman, right? Danielle Wolf is a beast of a woman. She's going to have a four inch or, a, yeah, a four inch height advantage. Sorry, it's a three inch height advantage as well as a four inch reach advantage, or it's probably the other way around. Either way, she's going to be dealing with a very big woman here. If she gets her to the ground, yes, she should be able to smash her and, you know, get dominant positions and fire the choke and get her out of there. But if she struggles to get her to the ground, and something that I kind of harp on a lot in women's MMA is that. Size and strength matters more than it does in men's MMA, specifically in women's MMA, because, uh, you know, if, if you're not strong enough to get the positions that you need, more than likely your opponent can control where that fight goes. And Danielle Wolf can maybe, um, can maybe uh, stop some of those takedowns, keep this fight in the upright position and just tip away at her with her strikes. But like the the obvious result here should be Norma Dumont getting this fight to the ground and getting getting a submission or a TKO of some sort. That's what's on the table, in my opinion. So the way I decided to kind of approach this, you know, again, even though the picks are behind the Patreon paywall, I, I'm just more than happy to share with them as long as people are listening to the podcasts. Um, I took a small shot on Danielle Wolf because Norma Dumont might do Norma Dumont things, and that's just not a good good uh, good recipe in terms of trying to cash especially backing Dumont at minus 400 but I also took um um I also took a, a shot on the under two and a half as well at plus 175 because if Dumont does have a decided advantage on the ground as I think and as most people think she should be able to get Daniel Wolf out of there so that you know cashing the under two and a half on Dumont um uh, getting that win would offset whatever action that I have on Daniel Wolf. And then on the flip side, um and then on the flip side, uh Daniel Wolf, like if she's able to keep it upright, if she pitter patters her way to a decision, I still end up in the profit. But even if she gets a knockout here, being the superior striker, I cash even more profit. So Daniel Wolf inside the distance would be the nuts pretty much, but I'm expecting Norma Dumont to get this to the ground and win that fight pretty much. Daniel in the chat saying, donate money just like you did with my, hey, I'm okay with taking 0.5 or 0.75 unit shots on low-level-ish women's MMA at plus 330. That's all I got to say. 
Zach Johnson saying Dana saying event in danger of being canceled. There is no way they would actually cancel the event. That's crazy. But official prediction is going to be Dumont. Dumont by submission. And I think the under two and a half is probably the best way to go about it. All right, next up, we're going to be talking about big boys here. We got Jake Collier coming in as a minus 410 favorite, plus 330 to return on Chris Barnett. Now, pretty easy fight to break down here, right? Chris Barnett either knocks out Jake Collier, but if he can't reach that chin of Jake, he's going to struggle a lot as Jake will likely be the better overall fighter. Better pace, better output, better striking in my opinion. Maybe not as much power as Chris Barnett, but he's able to put his combinations better together much... Sorry, better... Put his combinations together much better than Chris Barnett. But even if Jake looks to take this fight to the ground, he should be able to smash Chris Barnett from on top. Now, a lot of people think that Jake Collier is this crazy takedown guy now because he smashed uh, Chase Sherman on the ground. But I remember going back and listening to the post-fight press conference after that fight, and Jake Collier was talking about, he noticed that Chase Sherman's, uh, Sherman throws lazy kicks at times. And he's like, if he throws me a lazy kick at me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab that bitch take him to the ground and smash him on the ground. And that's what he actually uh, ended up doing. I don't know if he'll look to do that here against Chris Barnett, but he should be able to touch him up on the feet and eventually finish him late in this fight. I just get queasy thinking about betting Jake Collier as well at minus 400. You know, any type of hedge there would be Barnett by KO at plus 600, but I just, I don't have a good feeling about it. I'm leaning Jake. I think Jake will touch him up. And even the method of victory, man, I, I'm not sold that he's 100% going to finish him either. So it, to me, it's it's it is Jake parlay or pass essentially, but it's just so hard to trust Chris Barnett out there, right? So let's go, Jake, and uh, Jake should win this one. All right, moving on to the next fight here. Let's talk about Jamie Pickett going up against Dennis Tululian. Uh, in terms of odds, minus 130 on Jamie Pickett, plus 110 the return on Dennis Tululian. Uh, Dennis, you know, came up short in his UFC debut against Elias uh, Kab Kizriev. Um, he was a giant underdog in that fight, coming in on short notice, and he got dusted in that second round by Kizriev. Uh, the guy is known as a striker, solid power in his uh, punches. Um, recently moved to Extreme Couture over the last two years or so, and has been staying active over there, uh, even cornering guys like Sean Strickland and just you know being a part of that coaching staff as much as he could be. Uh, training on the regular, which is very good, um, but I just don't know if he's going to end up being UFC level. You know, he, he needs to go out there and beat a guy like Jamie Pickett in this spot. If he doesn't beat Jamie Pickett, he'll probably even get cut after this fight if he loses this, to be honest. But uh, I, I think he's going to struggle with the style of Jamie Pickett. By no means am I saying that you should go out there and bet Jamie Pickett at minus 130, but he should be able to win this fight. You know, historically, quite durable. You know, I'm giving him a pass for that Jordan Wright knockout that he suffered a couple fights ago because of the way he fought that. You know, if you guys remember that fight, he went in on a desperation takedown and just let it left his head out there a little bit too long, and Jordan Wright went Travis Brown on him pretty much, landed big, big elbows to the point that Jamie Pickett was too hurt. Then Jamie Pickett backed off, and that's when Jordan Wright noticed he was hurt, and he followed up and ended up finishing him with some big strikes there. Um, but other than that, you know, we've seen Jamie take some big shots, you know, from Tafan and Chukwe and other big uh, punchers, and he's been able to stay in the fight. So I think he'll be fine in terms of the durability aspect here against Dennis. But then he'll come down to his physical attributes, kind of what has been the reason he's been, uh, you know, been able to be successful in MMA. I think his talent and his skills still have a ways to go, but his physical attributes allow him to stay live in these fights by just overpowering these guys and bullying these guys in the clinch, pushing them up against the cage and chipping away at them there and just slowly racking up points and, and getting the judges' scorecards in that aspect. But I just can't back him at minus 130 here. The spot that I am kind of thinking about, I just don't know if I'll end up getting to the betting window with it, is the over 2.5 at minus 140. I'm expecting this to be a slow-paced fight. I'm expecting Jamie to get the better of most of these positions. And as long as Dennis doesn't either knock him down or land big strikes um, consistently enough, I think Jamie just grinds him out and wins this fight by decision. But good Lord, am I not looking forward to this fight at all. Do, 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 do. 
Dan Yaskin thoughts on this fight doesn't go to decision. I, I think the the biggest part of it would be Dennis finding the knockout, but like I don't know if he'll be able to do that. Blaze in the chat. Shout out to an OG right there. Hope you are doing well, my friend, as well. I think I snuck into your Discord uh, DM. Should check it out. Miss you, brother. Prison Mike in the chat as well. Appreciate you coming back. I see Date Mike is no longer around. Love me some Prison Mike. All right, let's get back to breaking down this card. Next up, we got Jailton Almeida going up against Anton Krikalj. Uh, still always going to butcher that name because I still don't recall how they actually pronounced it. Either way, big chalk here on Jelton Almeida, as most people expected, minus 660, plus 490, the return on Anton. Now, I think that this might be the toughest test for Jelton uh, Almeida since the contender series, if I'm being honest. You know, Anton has a very skilled wrestling game, has a good grappling game, can control guys and really wear on them. And he has good enough cardio to do it for 15 minutes if he needs to. Jailton's knock has kind of been, what does this cardio look like if he's not able to get guys out of there early? And based on his record, you know, the later fights go, the less likely he is to win. But we don't have the biggest sample size for it. But this is going to be his toughest test to date, in my opinion, to be able to go out there and get that quick finish. I do think he does get the quick finish and gets Anton out of there, considering the short notice nature this is for Anton and the fact that he just fought a couple weeks ago, didn't get a contract on the contender series, but the UFC is like, hey, you can come back into the UFC. Just fight uh, just fight the Brazilian beast over there, and we'll finally let you into the UFC. So, you know, not the way he'd like to get into the UFC, but, hey, if he gets in here and actually pulls off this big victory, he definitely splashes onto the scene and takes notice to from a lot of guys. And he has the chops to go out there and beat some of these guys in the light heavyweight division right now, if I'm being honest. Those grinding style of guys, like they're very... Uh, they're very reliable. I mean, Carl Williams this past Tuesday, same kind of guy in terms of just grinds on you with the pace and the pressure. But Anton is much better than uh, Carl Williams, in my opinion. So um, the prediction is still Jailton first round smish, but the way that I'm going to be looking to do this is actually live betting. I'm just going to sit back on the outside, wait to this fight. If it reaches round two, then I'll take a shot on Turk College, uh, you know, as he'll likely be around plus 800, plus 1,000 around that point if he's still standing. So that saves me, you know, losing money pre-flop. Uh, and then if Jelton truly can't get him out of there, Anton will likely be more live the later that this fight goes. So um, I'm going Jelton. I think he wins this fight, but Anton is definitely more live than most people. Um think Cobb's corner appreciate you stopping by my friend all right rifling through these i love this we're only at a half an hour and we're almost on the prelims um yeah i got a fuck ton of work to do even after i record this podcast let me let me just read this for you guys real quick now read count this up one two three four five nope five six seven eight things i need to do still before i hit the bed so whew. your boy got a lot on his plate but yeah almeida first round smash but lie bet on anton after round one all right that brings us to our main event of or i should say the prelim headliner we got canadian hakeem Dewadu going up against julian arosa in terms of odds, we're looking at minus uh, 240 now for Hakeem Dewadu, plus 200 the return on Julian Arosa. I feel like this is a layup type of fight for Hakeem Dewadu to go out there and just do what he does. Crisp striking, disciplined combinations, good management of his range, good management of his distance, good risk-reward management as well with when he actually engages in the offense uh, and, and then obviously looks after his defense pretty well. Uh, and then Julian Arosa, way too hittable, way too wild. I think he's just going to get dinged more often than not against Hakeem here. Um, you know, Julian, good pace, good pressure at times, but he just gets hit too, he gets hit too often. That Steven Peterson fight was way too close, in my opinion. Like I even said that Steven Peterson was live in that fight, and it was a close fight. You know, Julian Rosa did not deserve to be a minus 300 or minus 400 favorite, whatever he was that night. 
but I think it's going to showcase, you know, why he'll never be at the top because he'll succumb against a guy who's as disciplined and clean as Hakeem Duwadu. So uh, I think Hakeem outstrikes him, outpoints him, outvolumes him. Actually, maybe not outvolumes, but at least outpoints him by landing the more efficient strikes and landing the more damaging strikes, and that should allow him to go on to win a decision here. Hakeem decision currently sits at uh, plus 140 on most spots. I'm seeing plus 150 on some spots as well, but that is likely his best path to victory. I don't think he's that type of guy to kind of risk it for the biscuit, but he's that guy that will go out there and win clean performances, and I think that this is one of those spots where he'll do exactly that. So give me Hakeem Duwadu, Hakeem Duwadu by decision, uh, and you know him trying to bounce back for that Moser Ivlova fight from a couple fights ago. That's going to continue to go his way until he fights another guy that's going to test him in the grappling the way that Movzar did. So give me Movzar Ivloev. All right, that's a wrap on the prelim. Shout out to the 50 live viewers that we currently have on this Thursday night. Appreciate everybody hanging with me and appreciate everybody that's been watching all the streams that I did today uh, and supporting your boy the most. I ask is please hit that like below. And if you are not already subscribed to the channel, please do that as well because it helps way more than you guys would ever know. And then if you guys want to go that extra mile, Patreon link in the description below, five bucks a month. Got a great pop in Discord community. Appreciate everybody that's in there, uh, but also a ton of other great content. I should, well, I don't know if I'll be able to get around to it this week, but I was supposed to do the pay-per-view parlay for the patrons this week, but I just don't think that there's enough time to put it together. So I'll do it for next week's card, but that's pretty much, I put out a survey. Everybody votes on their favorite total or money line for the card and uh, the top four results. I parlay those together and uh, I make a parlay out of it, put 5% of my Patreon take onto that parlay. Should it win, I give it to, uh, a random Patreon follower. And it was so close to hitting uh, UFC 278 had Kamaru Usman didn't, had not got knocked out with uh, a minute left in that fight. It is what it is. Shout out to the Patreon members. Appreciate you guys and love you guys. All right. Uh, oh, yeah. And lastly, my full picks for this week will only be on the Patreon. I'll release a dog when I play for free tomorrow night. But since I'm on a three-event winning streak or longer, it will strictly be behind the Patreon paywall. Five bucks a month. Come on, guys. That's nothing. All right. Let's get to the main card here. And it starts off with some big boys in the light heavyweight division. We got Johnny Walker coming in as a plus 165 underdog, minus 195 the return on Iwan Kute Laba. Now, I kind of get why Kutalaba is a big favorite, right? But Chin, the durability of Johnny Walker is just so hard to trust. And Iwan Kutalaba passes the test in terms of guys that hit with big power and will more than likely go after and look for that big knockout as well. Even if we get that disciplined version of Iwan Kutalaba who wants to go out there and grapple his opponents, take him to the ground and just grind them out like he did against Evan Clark, I think he's going to struggle, right? Like, I think that Johnny Walker is too big for him to go out there and grind on him and grapple on him and make him uh, work the way that he did against Devin Clark. You know, we saw him land three takedowns against Ryan Spann in their fight that only lasted two and a half minutes. The reason he was able to land three takedowns was because Ryan Spann was able to get up four times because he is too big and too strong for Iwan Kutilab to hold down. Yes, Iwan's wrestling is good, but his ability to hold guys down, especially that much bigger than him, is going to be very difficult for him to do so. The same thing can be said here against Johnny Walker. So I think he's going to struggle to hold Johnny down. So even if he takes that wrestling approach, I just don't know if it's going to be that effective. On the feet, it's going to be competitive for sure. But I think that um, Iwan's power... Sorry, I got a sneeze that just came out of nowhere. Letting it dissipate here a little bit. But yeah, both guys are capable of the knockout in this spot, which is why I just can't, you know, trust Iwan at minus 200. I'm picking him to win, and I think he wins this fight by knockout, but even his knockout prop is at even money. So not enough juice on the bone or meat on the bone for actually for me to actually pull the trigger there uh, on Kutilaba to win this fight by knockout. But that's like the the the... the the most likely outcome in this spot. But Johnny Walker is absolutely a live dog here. Johnny Walker can go out there, put the big power and pressure on Kutalaba, or he can just stay on the outside and chip away at Kutalaba. So no way Kutalaba should be minus 200 in this spot. He should win this fight. But at you know that implied line, I just don't have the confidence he goes out there, uh, that he goes out there and actually wins this fight. 
unknown saying preeping hustling today. You know what it is, man. GC Hammer Time saying bet against Johnny's chin. True, but like again, we put way too much stock into standing knockouts. And if it doesn't transpire, it's gonna look bad for uh for Kutilaba. I'll still pick him to win, still taking him by knockout, but not as confident as minus 200 indicates. All right, next fight. We're going to be talking about Elena Aldana going up against Macy Kiasson. In terms of odds, we got minus 180 on Aldana and minus, or sorry, plus 155 on Macy. Uh, I love this spot for Irene, honestly. I think that this is a phenomenal spot for her to go out there and get a highlight real finish. Um, Macy Kiasson, similar to Jamie Pickett, uses her strength and her bullying pretty much to get most of her wins. I think her her technique and her skill set still needs a lot of work, uh, but she's been able to get by on it just by being the stronger woman in most of her matchups. You know, the, the fight against Norma Dumont was pretty much a non-fight considering that Dumont really didn't start to wake up until that third round. And that's where we saw the skill discrepancy when Dumont was able to land big shots and really put it on Macy that night. Uh, Aldana, you know, she does a very good job in terms of nullifying any type of clinch or grappling success her opponents look to have. Um, I, I've been reading the statistic all week here, but in terms of Aldana's defensive grappling, you know, overall in her UFC career, she's been taken down seven times on 45 attempts. Five of those takedowns coming from Holly Holm. So let's take out the Holly Holm fight. She's been taken down two on 31 attempts, taken down two times on 31 attempts from her opponents. Very hard to get her down. You know, Holly Holm, mainly known as a striker, but a lot of people, you know, if you look into her game some more, she has some sneaky wrestling, and she's probably one of the strongest women to deal with in that division. So, yeah, I'm okay that she landed five takedowns. She also whiffed on nine takedown attempts, right? So, Macy Kiasson, I think she's going to struggle to get Irene down here. But even if Irene gets taken down, she does a very good job in terms of working back to her feet. Uh, but the, the main thing is not getting taken down. And I think that's going to work out for her here. Anytime an opponent initiates the clinch, she's digging for underhooks right away. She's working to get off the cage and get back into open space and getting back to her bread and butter, which is her handiwork, her striking, her kicks, her punches. She's just going to be that much better than Macy Kiasson, in my opinion. I think she whoops on Kiasson here, and I think she eventually knocks her out uh, later in this fight, probably in the second or third round. Her clean, crisp striking will be able to land on Macy more often than not. And I really don't think that Macy has much in return uh, with her striking herself. So I'm going to go Aldana here. I think Aldana knocks out Kiasson probably second or third round. But minus 180, I think, is a gift of a line in this spot. So give me Macy Kiasson. Love it. <laughs> Daniel saying Macy will keep her at range with kicks, and if it gets close, Macy will take her down. Remember this. Mm, I don't think so. I do not think so, my friend. It's weird that we're always head to head on these women's MMA fights. I really thought you'd be on the uh, the uh, the Aldania side personally, but I think a lot of people they're taking too much stock from that Holly Holm fight. Macy Castle's not going to be able to do the same thing. I I. I don't want to guarantee it because fucking it's MMA at the end of the day. But uh yeah, sorry. <laughs> Gunny saying just you said give me Macy Kiasong. Bro, fourth stream of the day. All in all, I will have been streaming for six hours today. Let's go. Gimme I didn't nail Donna. Uh and Tristan Sherau saying uh Macy not gonna have that strength at 135 like she did against Norma at 145. Bro, I don't even think it was the strength of Macy that allowed her to push, uh, push, um, push Norma Dumont against the cage. It was the lackadaisical approach from Norma to just kind of accept those positions. Go back and watch that fight, and there are so many, you know. There's so many instances where she could easily dig an underhook and get out of those spots. Like, it's not like Macy, Macy was like super glued to her and she couldn't find any spot to kind of dig an underhook. She was just okay with staying there. Watch that. Bunkhood saying, what up? Congrats, Lock, on last week. Killing it. Thank you, brother. Absolutely great night last week. But it has been for the last couple of months, if I'm being honest. All right. 
Mason, uh, sorry, uh, I didn't nail Donna knockout plus 450. I didn't nail Donna money line. I think it's all good there. All right, next up, we got Kevin Holland going up against Daniel Rodriguez. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 195 for Kevin Holland, plus 165 the return for Daniel Rodriguez. Um, I really thought that I was going to be on the D-Rod side this week, but I just can't end up pulling the trigger. You know, I'm not pulling the trigger on Kevin Holland either at minus 200, but I do think he'll end up getting the better of Daniel Rodriguez in most of these spots. Now, Rodriguez, solid striker, good southpaw, uses a variety of kicks and punches, uses as well. Uh, his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu, I'm not completely sold on. Like, his jiu-jitsu, I'm sure it's solid, but his wrestling, I'm not so much sold on. You know, I think Kevin Holland has shown improvements in his takedown defense and his ability to keep fights upright. But even getting taken down in some of the past couple fights, he's been doing a very good job in terms of not settling for any positions, getting right back to his feet, and then getting back to his handiwork. So, yes. Tim Means took him down twice. Alex Oliveira took him down as well. But none of those guys had significant time on top where they were able to, you know, really make use of that top control. Kevin Holland, you know, scooched his butt back to the cage, got right back to his feet, and was able to get back to his handiwork, which is why he ended up winning both of those fights. Daniel Rodriguez, I don't see him having too much success from on top. And I think that even if he gets takedowns here, Kevin Holland will get back to his feet. And then the striking. You know, Daniel Rodriguez thrives in pocket exchanges. He's not going to get many of those here against Kevin Holland, right? Kevin does a decent job, in my opinion, of maintaining that distance, using his kicks to kind of keep his opponent range, and then obviously using the seven-inch reach advantage he'll have here to kind of keep Daniel Rodriguez at the end of his shots. Um, Rodriguez, again, solid striker, but he thrives when guys trade in the pocket with him. Mike Perry, Parson Prestons, um, Kevin Lee, all of those guys were willing to exchange in the pocket with him, whereas Kevin Holland, I think, will be finessing him a little bit more and staying on the outside and touching him up from those spots. Um, I lean Kevin here. I think he even has the potential of knocking out Daniel Rodriguez. I know Rodriguez hasn't been knocked out, but he's been hurt on in numerous of fights. I think Kevin Holland has that stinging power to really put it on him and hurt him in this fight and eventually get him out of there as well. So uh, give me Kevin Holland. I'm not touching that money line though, but you could convince me on taking some under or sorry, uh, inside the distance shots on him around that plus 150 line. But uh, yeah, I really wanted to take D Rod here. I'm being honest. I thought he'd be a good underdog spot. And I always love looking for our reasons to fade Kevin Holland. But I just think that Daniel Rodriguez is going to be outmatched in the striking in this matchup, especially at distance. Oh. All right. Next up, Coleman event. Li Jing Liang coming in at minus 285 plus 240. The return now on Tony Ferguson. Seems like money start to come in on Tony Ferguson now. Um, very interesting. But uh, yeah, a lot of the reason why Li Jing Liang is closer to that minus 300 range is similar to why Iwan Kutalaba is close to minus 200. People think that Lee is just going to go out there and walk through Tony Ferguson and knock him out. And it is a concern of mine. I'll be honest. It is. You know, it's only been four months removed since Tony Ferguson got flatlined by Michael Chandler. But, like, let's let's peel back the onion a little bit more in terms of Tony Ferguson's durability. Like, yes, he got beat to shit by um, Justin Gaethje, but never went out in that fight, right? That was the first time he ever lost by TKO. And then losing to Michael Chandler was the first time or the second time he ever got uh, lost by TKO or KO. So historically, his durability has been amazing. You know, he's eaten some shots in the past, but he always does a good job in terms of recovering and getting back into the fight. And I think if he can show even a glimpse of that here against Li Jing Liang, he's absolutely live to go out there and get the win. You know, I do think that Lee clips him and probably finishes him, but I do think that Tony Ferguson is the live underdog here. Like, I think that if he get his durability holds up, he can put together a better you know, uh, outing in terms of landing more volume and possibly getting the grappling going and maybe even finding a submission as the grappling defense of Li Jing Liang leaves a lot to be desired. I'm not saying he's a fish out of water by any means, but, uh, you know, he has been submitted twice in his uh, UFC career thus far. And Tony Ferguson is definitely one of those guys that can stay active enough and offensive enough with his jujitsu to put Li Jing Liang into bad positions. So 
like I, I am picking Lee to win by knockout, but it's such a close fight. Very tough fight to call, in my opinion. There's no way I will try to convince anybody to take Lee at minus 300. I would rather point you towards his KO line at plus 110. But Tony Ferguson is the obvious money line side here. The the red flags that are keeping me from actually getting to the betting window to bet him, though, 38 years old and just knocked out four, four, uh, four months ago. That that second reason is not enough for me to be like, yes, Leach is 100% going to win this fight because sometimes chins show up, sometimes they don't. And if Tony Ferguson's chin shows up with him this weekend, it's going to be a long and tough night for Lee Jing Leon. So uh, I would still lean, like I said, prediction is going to be Leach by KO. But man, it, it's Ferguson's side is getting tempted as fucked, honestly. Um, Yeah, I do think. Uh, yeah, and we did see. Uh, sorry, we did see uh, Ferguson have early success against Chandler as well. Looked very good. Almost looked like he was going to win that fight, but uh, going to be a close one. Okay, saying OMFG lock. You agree with everyone in my probably. I can't believe this. I like it. It's going to be tough, man. Just be careful parlaying the leech. That's how I got, all I got to say to you guys. Tony is definitely live in this spot. All right. Main event time. Once again, shout out to the 60 live viewers that we currently have on this Thursday night. Hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Let's get into the main event. Pretty easy fight to break down. Pretty quick. We can get through this one. Hamza Chemaev. Minus 1,100 favorite flip side for Nate Diaz. You're getting plus 725 on his return. I've been seeing a lot of people say, hey, you know, I'm going to take the shot on Nate. I'm going to take the shot on Nate. And I think it is absolutely illogical to take a shot on him in this spot. Hamza Chmaev is going to go in there. He's going to take him in, to the ground, and he's going to smash him right away. I promise you guys. You know, Nate Diaz is very durable. I get it. He has good jiu-jitsu. I get it. But Hamza Chmaev's size, strength, and wrestling prowess is going to be too much for him to handle and Hamza will be able to get him to the ground, grind him down, pass that guard, get to dominant position, and smash on him and get him out of there. I have no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, I, I really think that Chamaev is going to smash him pretty quickly here. Um, you know, I think people are leaning on that over one and a half, thinking that that's going to be the play here, trying to be sneaky with that minus 150. But I took a shot on the under two and a, or under one and a half here at plus 120 myself because I don't think we're going to see Hamzat fucking around at all. I think he's going to look to dominate Nate right away so that he can get back into the cage as soon as possible, maybe as, even as a potential title shot against Leon Edwards. But Hamzat wins his fight. I'm not even getting Nate much of a chance at all in this spot. Uh, Hamza round one is around plus 165 to plus 180. I take a shot on that myself. I think somebody said uh, one of the books offer Hamza in rounds one or two at minus 150. I think that's a smash spot as well. But uh, yeah, Chemayev is going to get Nate down without any issues. And then he's going to smash him on the mat. I think he's going to go back to doing what he did in those first couple fights in the UFC. And uh, this is a guy that he's going to be able to do that to, right? Gilbert made him look a little bit more human, but that still doesn't take away from the fact that he can go out there and still smash guys that have poor takedown defense like Nate Diaz. He's been taken down since 2007. He's been taken down against every opponent that's looked to take him down other than Conor McGregor and uh, Takanori Gomi, who went a combined 0 of 3 on takedowns against Nate. But Hamzat, different level of wrestling. We all know this. He's going to get Nate down. He's going to smash him immediately. I don't give a fuck about this Nate durability thing. Yes, Nate can be durable against guys like Jorge Masvidal and Anthony Pettis and Leon Edwards. These guys who just, you know, just go out there and just outbox these guys. It's another thing when a guy can take you down and just smash your head into the mat. That's all Hamzat's going to do. Hamzat round one, under one and a half is the only play that I went forth for this fight. I think it works pretty easily here. I love Nate as well. I apologize. But I think uh, Hamzat's going to mess him up on the ground here. Elijah on Dream saying Locke has had enough. I apologize, Elijah on Dream. I know you like that uh, Nate Diaz stuff here, but it's not going to happen. I think Hamzat smashes him on the ground. TKO, I wouldn't call it a lock, but I think that's his uh, most likely outcome. Um, if a submission opens itself up, I think they could that could open it up as well. But... I think he does uh, TKOM or like Matt R says here, Dr. Stoppage. I think that's possible. 
Gunny's saying they did Nate Dirty. Yes, they did. You know, I think it was a clip that I saw of uh, Dan Hardy earlier this week saying, like, this is a public execution. Like, this is a fight that should not be sanctioned. That's how badly we're going to see Hamza destroy this guy. All right. That is a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully, Embedded is going to be fire. I hope they release that later today. They better get to work on that immediately to try to capture the flame of what just happened a couple hours ago. But, uh, yeah, I'm going... Um, sorry, Derek Rodriguez said the, said the same thing about Connor. Connor and Hamza are completely different. Completely different. <laughs> completely. Connor, Stryker, Hamzad, Mahler. Derek Rodriguez, I love the support. I love that you're in here. I love that you're standing up for your boy, uh, Nate Diaz. But Hamzad is a different level. Absolutely different level. Oh. Matt asking, when are the uh, predictions going to be posted on Patreon? Um, pretty much all of them already are. Uh, the only ones I quickly have to put together are the Rosa... Dewadu, um, Collier, and Barnett, and uh, first fight of the night, uh, Lingness and Weeks. But the Best Bets and Props article is already posted on there. Just take a look at the feed, my friend. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. I will be back tomorrow for the Ultimate Weigh-In Show with a special guest. I got to still make sure that they're good to go. I'll let you guys know what time that's going to go down as soon as I get a confirmation from them. Um, yeah. Love you guys. Should be a good, should be a good event this weekend. Catch you guys tomorrow. Peace.